0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have to ask, are you there? Are you listening? Are you excited by the fact that I'm not sick this month? Weirdly, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you should be aware that uh, the last two episodes of this podcast, I've been sick. Two months ago, I had the stomach flu, which took a really long time to get over, it was a bad one. And last month, I was dealing with the flu. Well, this month, I'm great. I'm fine. Everything's good. I am no longer sick. So that's that's a good thing, because it's no fun. You out there, you've been sick in your life. If you haven't, you're a freak, and you should probably go see a doctor because you're a medical marvel. But I digress. You've been sick. You know what it's like. You know it's horrible. So what's going on in the Mimiverse, you ask? Good, good, very good stuff. First, and most importantly... And I'm very excited to announce this. Last Wednesday, so just a few days ago, I finished the rough draft edit of The Phantom Like Kids in The Beast Walks Among Us. This is by far the fastest I have ever written and filmed and finished editing a movie ever. Now, that is not a bad thing. That's not like a negative, like, oh, he rushed through this. I didn't. This one just came together. The idea took root, and from there, boom, wrote a script that just came out. I mean, it was, there was no difficulty in it. And, and, and a lot of the actors in the film actually helped a lot, the actors being my kids and wife and all that. It just came together very quickly, and within two months of writing it, I started writing it in March of this year. We started shooting at the end of May, and we shot all through the summer and finished it the weekend of Labor Day. I actually think we started the weekend of Memorial Day and then finished it the weekend of Labor Day, shooting it. And during that time, I was editing, and I finished editing less than a week ago. I don't have the credits in there. I don't have the opening or closing credits, but those don't take very long. The important stuff is the movie itself, because I know I don't need to reshoot anything or anything like that. The movie could be at least released as is, It'd be weird without credits, but the movie itself is done, the actual movie. So that's pretty dang cool. I had to render it, do a full uncompressed render of the the film. And if you're wondering, what is a render? When you film things digitally, or you edit things digitally, you have to take all that footage and you put it all together in a program. I use a program called Vegas, which is a video editing program. And once you do that, once you edit it all together, you have to render it all down to a single file that single file being the movie and it's just combining all the elements of the sound and the special effects and the edits and titles and all that stuff you just edit it all together and then you render it down to one file and that is the movie file that is the master file to really know what a movie is going to look and sound like you have to do this before you can then watch it the thing is is that these movies being as long as they are it takes a really long time to to do a, f- a final render or a, at least a render of this point because what I do is I make uncompressed master files. You know, basically they they will never look any better than that. The problem is is that the files themselves are huge because often when you're doing things digitally, there is some compression put in there to make sure that the video file, the computer file, isn't too large, so that the computers themselves can handle the processing that it takes to watch it. If you want a, in essence, perfect copy of a film, and when I say perfect, I mean uh, there's no compression other than the compression that happens when you're filming it because the cameras I use have to compress the video or else it would never fit for what I need to do anyway. I make from my master footage a master render, which is in essence a master file of, of the film. Again, it is uncompressed, so every single frame has every little bit of information, every little pixel. So what ends up happening is, is that the files end up gigantic. A 90-minute movie would be usually about five or 600 gigabytes. They're big. And the thing is, you can't actually watch them, at least not with the equipment I have, uncompressed as is. So I have to then render that into a compressed format that I can watch. This works out real nice because uh, from the compressed formats, that's what you're going to end up seeing. You're never going to see a master copy like this unless 20 years from now you can watch this master file uncompressed. And I'm sure in 20 years we'll have processors and computers that can handle it. Right now you can't, at least not anything I've come across. So anyway, I had to render the file. And this is a master file from all the subfiles, so there's a lot of processing that has to happen. Right now, the movie without credits is 74 minutes long. With credits, it's going to top out at probably about 78, 79, so close to 80 minutes, which is good. I don't want it to be too long. I don't want it to be too short. And this one is fun, and it definitely... Everything I've seen up to this point, it's not going to feel like a 75-minute movie, honestly, because it moves very quickly. So anyway, to render the entire thing to a master copy from which I can then render it to a compressed copy that I can watch and look for errors and changes and stuff. And this is the process I'm at where it takes a good month to go through and and watch it a bunch and try and find errors and try to find things I like and things I don't like and adjustments and small tweaks here and there. And this takes, like I said, it takes about a month of watching it several times. And that's okay. This is This is how it goes. I started rendering it to the uncompressed master file on Wednesday night, and it took 52 hours of going nonstop. It takes a long time. The thing is though, is that now that I have this master render without the credits, I can actually just render little parts as I make changes and then re-render to the compressed file that I can watch so that if there's a scene that I wanna make some changes in, I just can go in and make a change to that scene, re-render that to an uncompressed format, basically drop it in to the uncompressed file and then re-render it to something I can watch. And once I have all that done, and I'm basically happy with the whole thing, then I will just do a full re-render for the master file. And that will be the final master file from which your DVDs and Blu-rays and every time you see it in theater will come from. I'm basically very far along in the uh, process because usually I'm at this point, and I usually have like two months to go that I have to just finish the movie, get the DVD and Blu-ray all authored, figure out the art, get the trailer together, all that stuff. I'm usually at that point with, like I said, about two months to go before the premiere. Here's the thing. I'm not premiering this thing until mid-April. So I am way ahead of the curve on this film, which means I have a little extra time to really tweak it into something perfect for what it's going to end up being. It may not be the best movie I've ever made, although I think it is one of the best movies I've ever made. And it's just funny and entertaining. Everyone does a great job and I just really like it. I'm very excited. So the movie itself is is basically done. There are still things that need to be done. We still need credits. We still need other stuff. There's going to be tweaks, but if I had to, I could screen this tomorrow publicly and probably release it and still be perfectly fine with it. Because I've seen most of the little parts. As soon as I'm done recording this, I get to watch the entire thing from beginning to end without little gaps. Because there were still some gaps in there that I was working on. So this is cool. Movie is, is is done. That means you're kind of running out of time to get your name in the credits. But it's a sure thing. <laughs> the movie's done. So if you want to get your name in the credits, you should contribute at phantomlikekids.com. St. Euphoria.com slash beast.html. Contribute. Because the movie being edited doesn't mean the movie's done. There's still other stuff that has to be done. I have to put together the credit sequences, which takes time. And time is money, as you know. But there's also other things that now happen as I'm in the sort of post-post-production stage. I need to cut a trailer. I need to get the art together. I need posters and promotional materials. And i got to get those printed. And I need to get DVDs and Blu-rays made. And all this stuff costs money. So, yeah, I still need money to, to finish this movie up and release it. This is movie 15. I want to go big. I want to do something cool. Starting first with, and I think I I will announce this now, we haven't done an official Night Before the Thing party since, I think, Danny Johnson Saves the World, that we actually had a full-on party. We've been doing little dinners beforehand, because, again, this was a a kids' movie, you know, starring all the the teenagers and kids, and it's a walk through the Mimiverse, you know? There's a lot of characters and actors and stuff coming from other movies that I want to do something a little bigger so I want to do another night before the thing. And if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about when I say night before the thing, back when we released The Giant Spider, I believe, we did a we did a party. And maybe it was the late night double feature. One of the two. We did a party where we did a little night before get together that people paid for and they got dinner and, and I didn't like make any money off it or anything. We just broke even, but the idea was that we were throwing a party that Would celebrate it, and the actors showed up, and we had an Elvis impersonator, and it was, it was really cool. We threw a party. We did a live recording of the old Universe Bonfire podcast. We played some games. We we did trivia. We just we had a good time celebrating finishing the movie and releasing it. And the idea was that we had these people coming in from out of town, so we wanted to give them something to do the night before. We had a lot of fun, and we did it again with Danny Johnson saves the world and we because that was like the kid movie and all the kids in it were little because this was twenty fifteen so five years ago we did a kid party and by that I mean we we had a pizza party and we we played ridiculous games like musical chairs which if you've gone to uh, any of these events uh, we've we've thrown since then musical chairs has become a very competitive ridiculous thing we do at a lot of these parties, even to the point that we give out like full on homemade trophies. Uh, So it's cutthroat. But that started in 2015 when we did that. We did a bunch of, in essence, we were trying to throw a a kid's birthday party for adults, but also kids, like a family thing. And we had a lot of fun. But what happened was, is that um, times and money being what they are sometimes, it kind of fell by the wayside with where Skeeto. And I think some of that too was just the solemnness of that film. It didn't seem right to have a, musical chairs party the night before or something so we just did dinner and that's sort of persisted ever since but we've been asked often when we're going to do another night before the thing And i think with this one it's appropriate i think we should do it and i think i'm going to do it the only thing that would make it difficult would be if we just don't have the money that said people pay to go to it and as long as we reach a certain level of people paying it was like 10 or 15 bucks and you get dinner right and cake usually and chips and popcorn and you know It's fun. It usually paid for itself. And so I'm thinking this year, uh, with the extra lead time before the premiere, we'll have time to plan. So this time we're doing it. We're going to do The Return of the Night Before the Thing. And again, it was only called Night Before the Thing because we were talking about it on the old Minimum Bonfire podcast. And we never came up with a name for it. And we would just refer to it as, you know, the night before the premiere, the night before the, the thing, the night before. So that just stuck. That was the name. So I'm thinking, let's do that again. Also, I'm going to shoot to have this movie released on a Thursday night. I need to talk to the theater, but I'm pretty sure the owner will be open to it, because the dates I'm looking at, mid-April, nothing really comes out. I know a lot of theaters, opening night of a big-budget movie is is on Thursdays now, because it's technically Friday, but you get to watch it at 7 o'clock the night before which is fine, it's cool. I like to go to a lot of Thursday night openings. That time of year, the couple of days I'm looking at, nothing big is coming out. So we wouldn't be competing with another Avengers movie like we would have last year. Because we released it on the 24th, which was a Wednesday, and the 25th was when Avengers Endgame came out. So we're not doing that, but we're not going up against anything like that. So I'm thinking a Thursday. And the reason I'm thinking Thursday is, is actually because of my daughter, Alice. You all know Alice. She's uh, been in several movies, most notably as Hope in Guns of the Apocalypse. Well, she has a major role in this one. And she asked why I wouldn't do it on Thursday, because I was doing on Wednesdays. And she said, why Wednesday, went on Thursday? And I said, well, what's the difference? She says something along the lines of, well, if people are coming from out of town, wouldn't it be easier for them to take a Thursday off and come in and then see the movie? And then they could take Friday off, and then they get like a long weekend. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So I'm thinking Thursday is the thing, because it's still cheaper than renting, because I have to rent the theater, the Heights Theater, and renting it on the weekend is ridiculously expensive. We've done it twice. The first time I didn't pay for it was the old Shadow Creek Studios did. For the Late Night Double Feature, I did rent the theater for a Saturday. I actually took a loss on it. The idea was, you know, I had a lot of out-towners saying, well, if you did it on a weekend, we'll show up. The funny thing is, more out-of-towners showed up, but more locals stayed home because it was the weekend. So being that the theater now has half the number of seats it used to have, and we have never had any real problems doing it during the week, I'm just going to keep it in the middle of the week, but try and kick it forward a day to, would that be backward? I don't know. Forward, backward? Kick it a day to Thursday. Maybe instead of doing the night before the thing, maybe we'll do, and, and I'm just spitballing and this just came to me now is maybe we'll do a, a party on friday right so if you're gonna come on thursday to see the the movie maybe friday night we do the party we do a little post get together where we we have some fun and we celebrate the release maybe that's a better idea i'll run that by the uh, the brain trust here and when i say the brain trust i just mean my kids and see what they think because that might be kind of fun because if you're coming in on thursday why not just spend the weekend if you're going to spend the weekend, we can do fun stuff. We can have a party on Friday night. Maybe we do something on Saturday. Maybe we go somewhere. I don't know. The point is, the movie's done. And I'm about to watch it. And I'm very excited because I know everything I've seen. And I've seen it all individually. I know each scene works. I know how each scene plays. I'm just excited to finally see it all together. The Phantom of the Kids and the Beast Walks Among Us. Done. As for the other movie we're working on right now, that Which Lurks in the Dark, it's driving me a little nuts right now. I wrote that script first. I wrote that last November, so it's been a year since I wrote that script, and it's a really good script. It's very funny, and I like it. We were originally going to try and fit that in, and then film The Phantom Lake Kids afterwards, but I was really pushing to get that one going, and I couldn't get the actors and everybody's schedules and all these things to, to mesh. We didn't have a monster. We, didn't, we just we weren't ready. So I decided, you know what? Instead, I'm going to film Family Kids first, which I like because then that's movie 15, and this is more appropriate for a a milestone movie like number 15. So I thought, well, that's fine. We'll just put off that which Lurs the Dark till later. Well, originally we started talking about, okay, when would we start shooting it? With everything going on, we finally agreed on a schedule, and we were supposed to start shooting next weekend. Most of the movie takes place inside, so. Shooting in the winter is no big deal. But there are a handful of scenes that are outside. And I don't want it to look like Guns of the Apocalypse. I don't want it to be a winter wasteland, which I live in Minnesota. It's a winter wasteland for half the dang year. Usually, beginning of December isn't that bad. And it's usually not super-duper cold. Except this year, apparently. We have been getting socked with snow. Way more than I want for those scenes, because it looks like, yeah, it just, it doesn't look right. It's not what I want. I want it to be cold. I want you to be able to see breath, right? But I don't want it to be two feet of snow. And there's a scene that takes place in an open field. And the open field right now has, like, two feet of snow in it. So if we're filming out there, we're going to be miserable, and it's going to be crazy cold. Like, we're talking probably 10 degrees when we had filmed, because it's all at night. And so it just didn't work. And I started thinking about it. We don't need to rush to get it done. I'd rather do it right than rush and get something terrible. Plus, the plan is right now. I mean, I've talked about the idea of releasing two movies next year. And I'm still going to release two things next year. That's all I'm going to say about that for... Well, I might say more, but nothing specific. I'm going to release two things next year. The major thing being The Phantom Lake Kids... But That Which Looks in the Dark, I'm not even going to release until 2021. That will be the big movie for 2021. So there is no rush in getting it shot yesterday. We have most of the, the film scheduled out from January through early April. So there's really no problem in just tacking on these handful of scenes we were going to do in December at the end of April. Which would actually be shortly after the premiere of Family Kids. And realistically, the weather should be more what I want at night, where it's cool, but not unbearably cold, which is, I just don't want to deal with that. After Guns of the Apocalypse was horrible. I'm sure you've heard my stories or heard me whining somewhere. It was just not pleasant. And I don't want that aesthetic. I don't want it to look like post-apocalyptic nuclear winter Guns of the Apocalypse. I don't want feet of snow on the ground. There can be a little snow. I just don't want it to be what it is now, and it's only going to get worse throughout the next couple weeks. And we're having a, a cold snap starting next Friday when we were supposed to start shooting. The high that day is only supposed to be like 20. So when we shoot at night, it's going to be in single digits. Nope. So I pushed that off, and I'm actually I'm happy about that because then I can just focus on getting this movie perfect and the other thing I'm going to be working on. And I'm sure you're like, what are you talking about? What other thing? Let's say this a major holiday will be occurring. And though it is religious in nature, a lot of secular people celebrate it. And one of the things that is associated with this particular holiday, I don't know why I'm being so vague, it's Christmas. One of the things associated with Christmas is gifts. So my gift to you is that on Christmas, on or around Christmas, probably not Christmas Day, I got family, I got stuff to do, I'm going to announce something. It'll be my little gift to you. If you're a big fan, I'm going to announce the other thing I'm going to be doing for next year. And releasing next year. But I don't want to ruin it. Because it's going to be fun. And uh, you'll be able to contribute to it, just like all the other stuff. But this is definitely going to be something special. It's going to be very special. Pay attention on Christmas. I will announce it all across social media. I'll announce it on my website. And I'll talk about it. In the next podcast. But that's, that's as far as I'm going. Speaking of Christmas, and this is the perfect segue into this. It's the holiday season. Whoop-dee-doo. Dickery-dock. There are a lot of cool Mimiverse-related things that you can get for the Mimivites in your family. Or for the people you might think are receptive to the films of the Mimiverse. There are the films of the Mimiverse, which are available on DVD and Blu-ray. And in fact, I have some some special news. If you're one of those people out there who's come to this a little later and is looking at some of the previous films and, and realizing that some of them are no longer available on DVD, and you're maybe a completist who wants some of these old titles, if you go to the December Mimiverse Monthly Newsletter and look carefully, some of those titles are available in that newsletter. The December 2019 Mimiverse Gift Guide. If you go to St. Euphoria.com slash newsletter slash DEC19.html. URLs are ridiculous. They're just... Anyway, if you go to the Mimiverse Monthly December 2019 newsletter, there are some titles on DVD. The original DVDs that have not been available on the website for a while. Because... I hoarded some of them, but then also were able was able to get some back from some of the physical locations, they weren't really selling in. And now I have them available. If you were one of those people that wanted to buy Demon with the Atomic Brain and was never able to, it's back. Go to the newsletter, pick up the copies of the movies you haven't been able to get up till now and get them because here's the thing, once the Christmas season is over, they will stop being available. Cuz I only have very small quantities. And once they're gone, once I sell them, even if I sell them in the next like three days, I'm just going to pull them out of that newsletter and pull them out of everywhere and you won't be able to get them anywhere. So get them, get on that, do that. Come on. What are you waiting for? You're a completist, right? So with the holidays, lots of cool stuff is available. We have the mystery boxes and I'm going to tell you right now I don't know when you're listening to this, but last year we started doing the Mimiverse mystery boxes, which had some really cool stuff in it. Last year we didn't sell out. We just had to stop selling them because we had to get them out to people in time for the holidays. Uh This year we're almost out of them. They're selling very well. If you want a mystery box, go order one or go check. They may be gone by the time you listen to this, but if you want one get one there's some exclusives in there you literally will not find anywhere else and we're doing that on purpose that there are a few things in there if you're a collector of of the rare stuff you will only get it in the mystery box particularly two of the things in there you will never get anywhere else ever unless you buy them from someone else so get your mystery box also, the calendars. Calendars are out, I have them, they're they're ready to go, and I'm running out of them. They have also proven very popular this year, more so than any other year. I've sold more this year than I have in previous years. I don't have that many left. So if you want one of the Mimiverse 2020 wall calendars, get that. Also, Pocket Steves to be had, they're still puppets. And here's the thing. If you wanna give someone, say, like a Steve People puppet, or a Monster Phantom Lake Pocket Steve, as we call them, the little stuffed animals. Those are handmade. So if you want them in time for the holidays, there is a delay on getting them to you. We just don't have them laying around. When we get an order, we make them. And some of these things take a little while. And we will rush to try and get them done as fast as possible. But we're busy people. In the past, if you order a puppet, it can take as long as four to six weeks. Now, if you order one within the next, say, like two weeks, and and again, bear in mind that it's December 1st right now. So if we're talking in the next couple weeks, if you get one ordered, we will do everything we can to get it done and in your hands in time for the holidays. But you need to order yesterday, okay? So if there's any of those things that you want, these cool handmade collectibles, these cute little plushies, order them now to make sure you get them. Otherwise, Check out St. on the merchandise page. There's lots of cool stuff on there that you can get. And whatever you order on there, I usually get out in the mail within a day or two at the most. And being that it's this time of year, I'm very vigilant in making sure that your stuff gets to you as fast as I can possibly get it to you. If you're listening to this overseas and you're outside the U.S., things usually take at least a week to get to you. So order and I will get them out to you as fast as humanly possible. Like I have a stack of stuff from the weekend that people ordered that are all going out tomorrow. So people should get their stuff within a few days, two, three days, but don't wait. I will do my best to get it out to you, but there is no rush shipping option. If you really wanna pay for rush shipping, you're gonna to need to contact me directly and we'll work something out. But from the website itself, there is no rush shipping option. It's just USPS standard. Priority shipping, so usually within a couple days. So order your stuff. Otherwise, that's what's going on in the Mimiverse. To recap, The Beast Walks Among Us, basically done. Very excited. That Which Lurks in the Dark will start filming in January, so that's coming up. I will be announcing another project on or around Christmas. Pay attention, because that's going to be very cool. And there's lots of stuff that you should get for all the Mimavites in your family and all your friends and stuff. I mean, here's the thing. If you love these movies, and I love making them, I really do, I wanna say this. I'm a little depressed lately, partially because I live on Mars. Minnesota is like there's no sun. I'm a night owl who lives in a in a in a Area where the sun is setting by 4.15 p.m., right? So I don't see a lot of the sun, and it sometimes gets to me. That's why I like to travel, uh, do a lot of stuff uh, in warmer climates this time of year, just to get some sunlight. That said, I'm a little depressed because Amazon sucks. And I'm just going to say it. Amazon sucks. It's a weird double-edged sword. Because we live in an age now where the convenient, easy thing to do is to stream things on streaming services like Amazon prime, like Netflix you got Disney plus. Now you got all these streaming services and it's a heck of a lot easier to stream stuff than it is to constantly be say, carrying around a a bunch of DVDs and Blu-rays. The truth is the highest quality you're going to get is on like a ultra HD Blu-ray, but that's neither here nor there. Streaming is the easiest, most convenient route. The problem is, is that the corporations, the big ones, the ones with money control all of the, the, the big streaming services and every damn company out there is starting their own because every company out there is starting their own. It starts becoming noise, right? There's so many streaming services and Roku channels and this, that, and the other thing that the only ones that really get true penetration are the big ones like Netflix, Hulu, Disney plus now Amazon prime. Most of the big ones that everyone has access to don't give a crap about low-budget, micro-budget filmmakers like myself who make these weird niche little movies that are in black and white. They don't care. Honestly, why should they? They're Disney. They're NBC Universal. They're big companies with money. They have their own things that they can make lots and lots of money on. Netflix, you know, they, they make their own stuff. Amazon Video was kind of an outlier in that, in that when they were starting, they allowed nobodies like me to put movies on there. It was pretty awesome, because it ended up being, because they're now, the penetration of those particular companies is so deep, and I realize how dirty this all sounds, but for as much as they're screwing people, it's appropriate. huh? Eh? Waka waka. When they started, they, they opened it up to anybody, because again, I've and I've explained this before. In their mind, they thought they were going to be the YouTube competitor, and then they realized, no, 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 we're we're the Netflix competitor. But now they have a dilemma. They have all this low-budget stuff competing with their own stuff and their big-budget stuff, and they're trying to be highbrow and expensive. They want big-budget stuff. They don't necessarily want a guy like myself who spends ten grand to make a movie. They want Big stuff. Using big names. And I am not a big name. I'm just a weird fish in a very weird pond. Anyway, all my movies are on there except one. Queen of Snakes is now on there, by the way, if you get a chance. Check it out. But they dropped Destination Outer Space. Now, if you've listened to this podcast, you know the whole story. As they are growing, they're trying to find reasons to drop these indie films. Because in their head, it doesn't help them. Now... When they first did it, when they started their first purge, they got a huge backlash and a lot of sort of bad press as a result. And they just kind of stopped doing it. And one day everybody woke up and like a good third of all the indie stuff was just dropped unceremoniously without explanation. And they still don't really give an explanation. And there was a big backlash, at least amongst the indie folks and a lot of industry types who care about these things. And I think they realized, okay, it's bad if we just drop everybody all at once. So instead, they started making up these little weird rules and starting to drop these films and, on top of that, cutting the rates that us filmmakers make. They started doing things on a sliding scale. It used to actually be, not lucrative, but at least decent, right? You could make 15 cents an hour, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you add up enough hours and and the money you're pulling in from the streaming started almost being comparable to the money you could make selling physical media. Well, as soon as it became kind of clear physical media was going out, but then also when they realized they wanted to get rid of all these indie films and all this stuff, they just started changing the rates. And they cut the $0.15 an hour down to $0.06 an hour, which is a lot. So before you had something that was almost approaching physical sales, which numbers-wise was eclipsing physical sales, but now was making far less. That sucked to take that much of a cut because it was like, okay, it was almost sustainable, right? The difference of like, okay, my physical sales are dropping off, but the streaming sale on Amazon is sort of making up the difference, which was nice because I could stay at a level that was sustainable for my particular business, right? But then they cut it, and then it became no longer sustainable just with that. Now I'm sort of in this weird netherworld, right? Then a year after that, They changed their policy again and they decided to add a customer engagement rating, which is based on the idea of how many people watch a movie to the last 10 minutes, you know, from beginning to the last 10 minutes. There's all these little things that it's based on. It's 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 big corporate voodoo is what it is. But it ends up being that it is definitely tilted toward the big guys. Because most people, when they watch a big-budget movie, will watch the whole damn thing. Now, indie films, maybe they give it a try, maybe they don't like it. But all those little things would add up, and then you find some really hardcore fans who will watch everything. Some of you listening are probably those people who just randomly got a suggestion for one of my films, were like, "I've never seen that one before. I don't know what it is." And you're watching it, like, "I like this." And then you look deeper, and you're like, "Oh my god, this guy's other movies." And you watch more, and then you became a fan. Right? That was the beauty of it. Now, though, for every like 10 people who just give it a try, you get maybe one who's like, oh, I'm going to check out more. Well, now you get penalized for that because they're like, oh, nine people didn't like it, so it must not be good. So the customer engagement number gets smaller. And the smaller your customer engagement number, the smaller the amount they pay you per hour. And they start doing on this sliding scale of as little as $0.04 up to $0.10 with the bullcrap explanation that if you're doing really well you'll get paid more. Well I'll tell you right now I'm not getting paid more even though my numbers are better now than they were a year ago. My numbers have improved but what I'm making keeps sliding because my customer engagement number keeps knocking me down into smaller like lower brackets. Instead of a flat fee You know, originally it was a flat fee and then they put a tiered thing where it was all about numbers of hours, right? It was like six cents or 10 cents or 15 cents or whatever, based on how many hours, again, tilting it toward Hollywood. And so again, you take a cut and I add more movies and it doesn't matter because then I barely get almost back to where I was. And then guess what? They just announced they cut the rates again. Now... Instead of it being a sliding scale from 4 to $0.10, it's now a sliding scale of $0.01 to, like, $0.09. $0.01 an hour. So if you were to watch one of my movies, and it was deemed to be uh, at that lower rate, I get a whole penny, maybe a penny and a half. So what Amazon is doing is they're trying to ghost me. They're trying to ghost us all, you know? It's like the the dating thing, if you know what ghosting is. The kids these days and their smartphones and their dating apps. My older kids have had very bad luck with love, but they'll start dating someone and it doesn't work out. Instead of that person saying, hey, I just, I don't feel it, they'll just stop contacting them. They'll ghost them. They'll become a ghost. And that's kind of what's happening, right? It's like they'll just keep paying us less and less and less until the point comes where it doesn't make any sense for me to have my stuff on there. Because why would it be worth it for me to have it? In essence, I get to a point where I'm just giving it away for free. And I can't do that. That is not how these things are supposed to work. But Amazon has screwed everyone over and made a point to make sure that that's what's going to happen. And they've started being really stringent in things where, like, for instance, Destination Aerospace was dropped because the star rating fell below 3. So as long as my movies apparently maintain a 3.0 rating, at a minimum, they'll stay on the service. But if one of these movies is making sense, like a cent for someone watching it, what the hell is the point? But therein lies the dilemma. Because all these other services don't want the movies because they have their own stuff. So... The only way you get noticed is by being on one of these services. But being on this service, Amazon in particular, you're not making anything. So how do I maintain? How do I continue to make movies? This is the dilemma. Because people don't necessarily buy physical media anymore. There are still the hardcore people that do. I still do. And the reasoning, and I always tell people this, is that streaming services are cool and convenient. Yes. But they control it then so if they just decide uh we don't want this anymore or they come up they run into some sort of issue with the distributor or, or the the company that production company that made this movie for instance it just disappears and guess what you don't get to see it unless you own it but even the thing is if you own it quote unquote on a streaming service you're just you own a license to it which is that you don't have to keep paying to rent it or whatever but if they pull it Too bad. You never owned it. You just licensed it. Now, if you own a physical copy of it, the only way they're going to get it is they come into your house and take it. As far as I understand it, that is not legal. Although, companies being what they are, they have made it so that some of these newer releases, Blu-rays and stuff, won't work without an internet connection. It's, in essence, you, again, you just own the license. It's stupid. And I get it. They're trying to control. They're trying to make money. They're trying to double dip people. It's what they do it's how they make so much damn money but it's also kind of stupid and uh, unfair and dumb and it makes me kind of pissed off i don't know if you caught that seeing as i'm still talking about it so yeah i'm in this very weird place where i have a lot of physical media sitting around in my warehouse aka my garage but i'm not selling as much of it which is too bad, I still sell it, but not to not to everybody. And I, it's, it's funny, I, I do a lot of events and my physical media sales are dropping to the point where it's not even necessarily worth it for me to do events anymore, which also shoots me in the foot because the only way I can do events, especially if it's something like a convention that I have to pay for a table to go do it, and I have to pay to travel there, and I have to pay to get a room, and all these things. You're talking usually between five and seven hundred dollars just for me to go to an event. Because I got to eat, I got to stay somewhere, I got to. There's a lot of money that goes into it. I mean, table rentals are you're talking three, four hundred dollars sometimes. So it means I got to make at least seven hundred dollars in sales to break even. And the truth is, most events seven hundred dollars is, is about average. So a lot of times I'm breaking even, but a lot of times I'm not smaller events, I'm not going to make that much. And the problem is, is that now fewer people are buying physical media. So I've less stuff to sell to people. So it becomes less and less ideal for me to, to go to these events, unless I am a guest and the convention is willing to, say, fly me somewhere, or put me up somewhere, or at least help out in some way. I'm, You know, I've I've done a a few events uh, where they'll take care of everything, and those are some of my favorite events because I can just go and I can schmooze with the fans and the friends, you know, and the out-of-town friends, and we can just have a good time. And I don't have to worry about constantly selling stuff, which can be stressful because I want to continue making movies, and I'm guessing you would probably like it if I continued to make movies based on the fact that you made it this far into this protracted podcast episode. And a lot of people listening right now might even be a, a contributor yourself. And I, I appreciate that, I really do, because it's getting to the point now where I think contributors are the only way that I continue to make movies because the sales route is getting harder and harder. And so I'm gonna to have to look in the coming year in 2020 at ways to make money to continue to do this that maybe cut out the middleman a little bit and you know feed into people's desire for convenience You may be listening to me like, I always buy physical media and I watch it on Amazon. So you get money both ways. And you, you're my favorite person. But going forward, it's just going to get fewer and fewer people are, are, are buying physical media. And that's just the reality. So I have to find a new way to get my stuff out there. And that's just the way it is. That's reality. And I'm facing that. And that's okay. And I don't blame any of you. (laughs) I'm not mad at any of you because I do the same thing. I tend to only buy very specific physical media. I used to buy tons of movies that I really didn't probably need to own, but that was the way, you know, I just, I bought them because it was the thing I did. Now I'm very picky about what I buy. And I also will then watch it on streaming services to make sure that that person that I'm trying to support not only gets the money from the physical media sale, but then the ongoing Two cents they're getting an hour from Amazon. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a weird time being an independent filmmaker because the the delivery method has gotten a little strange and is definitely in transition right now. And it's kinda sad, honestly, because fifteen years ago when I started doing the Monster Phantom Lake, it really did feel a little like the Wild West. It felt like anything was possible because you could upturn the apple cart you didn't need a distributor you could make your own dang dvds and sell them online or sell them on social media and i guess there wasn't social media but you could sell them online at your website and you cut out hollywood and the word of mouth from my films is what allowed me to get to the point i'm at now was i was just selling things direct to people and doing events and doing screenings and doing these things that people could show up and they could buy my movie or five of my movies and I'd be like this is really cool And it really was knocking Hollywood for a loop. Maybe not me personally, but just everyone, so many filmmakers doing that. Well, now, of course, they've found out a way to rest control back because now they control all the big streaming services. They've used our wish for convenience against us. And it sucks, but it is what it is. And I'm going to make it work. The weird trade-off I think actually works to your advantage if you're a fan, because the only way I can actually keep this going is through contributors, then that means I have to make more stuff, like more and more stuff, more than than I normally make. I have to put out more stuff to make sure that more people have the opportunity to contribute and help out. So in essence, I have to put out more things to get more contributions to keep it alive. I say bring it on. Challenge accepted. Let's do this. Okay, I've been talking long enough. I'm going to turn it over here now to Rich Chamberlain, another Kansas City Crypt. When we come back, I have a poem, and then we missed him last month, but he's back this month. Dr. Bob Tesla with another
1: joke. Talk to you in a little bit. Take it away, Mr. Chamberlain. Hey, everyone. This is Richard, the Monster Movie Kid. And it's time for another edition, a special holiday edition of the Kansas City Crypt. And the film I'm covering this month is a film I think we all wish would have stayed in a crypt. You know, this is my third Christmas, my third holiday season here at the monthly Memiverse Audiocast, and, well, I'm kind of continuing a tradition. Two years ago, I did a look at All Things Scrooge, the Christmas Carol movies. That was a good start. Last year, I decided to delve into something a little bit darker, a little bit creepier, the magic Christmas tree. So guess what? I'm going to continue down that dark path this year by taking a look at Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, a 1972 much beloved holiday classic that you probably have never heard of and you don't want to hear about it. A few years ago, I did this movie for my own Countdown to Christmas over at my Monster Movie Kid blog, and, well, you know what, I'm going to kind of steal some of my comments from that original post three years ago, because, well, I said it so well three years ago, and this one, it just kind of defies description. This movie was made in 1972, and it's one of those kiddie matinee films that were popular back in the day, although... I know people probably saw this film, but kids probably were wondering, what exactly were they watching? And I'm still not exactly sure what the Ice Cream Bunny has to do with the plot. Is there a plot? Well, let's take a look at it. So, it's Christmas Eve, and the elves are worried because Santa is missing. You see, the reindeers have come back to the North Pole, but Santa and the sleigh are gone. It seems that they're stuck down in a beach in sunny, hot Florida. Santa needs help, so he cries out to the local children to help push his sleigh out of the sand. Yeah, there's a gorilla that happens to be involved in this. Don't ask me why. I don't think it's ever really explained. And in fact, there's a wide variety of livestock that's attempting to help Santa. Santa decides, well, he can't get out yet, so he's going to start telling them a story the story of Thumbelina. Now, Apparently, there were two different versions of this movie made. There's another version that featured a tale of uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. I've never seen that one. Maybe no prints exist. The version I saw had the tale of Thumbelina. And, you know, i got to say that as far as Thumbelina goes, it's not a bad adaptation. It's just really kind of weird and again, it's, it's almost like a separate entity kind of placed into this film. This is one of those films where the dialogue was added later. It's almost like you're watching a, a Euro horror flick, but nowhere near as good. You know, I get it. This was a different era and a different time. And, and, and parents would drop kids off at a movie theater for a kiddie matinee. But boy, were they in for a surprise with this one. It is a really poorly made film that essentially takes this this children's group uh, production of Thumbelina and plants it into a pseudo-holiday film. Now, like I said, it's not a bad production, keeping in mind you're dealing with younger kids, but all the other trappings, the Santa Claus segments, the sleigh on the beach and stuff— it's really, really bad. Maybe a better print existed at one time, but the only ones I've seen out there are kind of fuzzy, and maybe that's the best way to see this one. That and maybe some spiked eggnog. So there's a lot of things that happen once the, the Tale of Thumbelina is done. Well, actually, no, there's not, because there's only like 10 minutes left in the movie at that point, and this movie seemingly goes on forever. Yeah, the ice cream bunny shows up with an antique fire engine to save the day, I mean, literally, there are kids like waiting down this 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 fire truck. I think even a kid falls off the fire truck at one point as it's trying to go away. It's hilarious, and uh, well, you know, when Santa finally goes off with the ice cream bunny, well, the sleigh disappears and apparently magically goes back to the North Pole, which leaves the question if that could happen in the first place, why did we have to sit through Santa Stuck on the Beach? Why couldn't it just magically disappear on its own? And I still don't know what the ice cream bunny had to do with any of this. This isn't the worst Christmas movie I've seen, but it is the next to worst film. The worst still being Christmas on Mars in 2008, mostly because I just don't find any redeeming features about that film. This one has the quirkiness nature about it that makes it just kind of a train wreck you want to watch. You don't want to watch Christmas to Mars at all. Christmas on Mars. See, I can't even get the title of that film right. It just, it sticks in my mouth. But Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny is one of those nightmare-fueled, late-night viewings that you wonder, did it really exist? Yeah, it does exist. But there is actually some cool stuff about the the behind-the-scene making of this film. It was actually filmed at Pirate's World Amusement Park, which existed at a time in Dania, Florida, 1967 and 1975. It actually did well until, well, Disney World opened in 71. And at that point, poor Pirate's World Amusement Park didn't stand a chance. But at one time, it was a musical venue. You know, summertime music acts would come and play, and, well... Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath actually played at this amusement park. So that's kind of a cool, nostalgic trip back on that one. Um, Barry Mann was the guy that, I guess, produced or directed this film. And, well, he really didn't do much else. He wanted to make a Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn film at one point. He even filmed a few segments. That movie never happened. And so why not take some of that unused footage and throw it into this movie at one point point? Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. But it's there. Why not? You have the film footage. What else are you going to do with it? Um, I got to say that, uh, you know, this film does feature a few accomplished actors. Jay Ripley, who played Santa Claus, actually did a lot of television work. He even starred alongside John Wayne in True Grit just three years earlier. I guess his career took an interesting path rather quickly. Um, actress Shay Garner plays Thumbelina. She looks so bored in this movie. Uh, and she would do a few things many years later. Horror fans might remember her from the movie Humongous in 1982. And even Star Trek fans can stake a claim on her. She was in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in 1991. I think the more interesting thing and something for a little side project for you is the fact that the children in this movie were actually from Ruth Foreman's Pied Piper Playhouse. They actually had a 40-plus year tradition of helping aspiring young actors and artists in Florida. There's a few articles on the internet about this uh, this playhouse and this kind of a young repertoire uh, of actors and kind of interesting, you know, um... That was probably more interesting than the movie. Do some research on Ruth Foreman's Pied Piper Playhouse. Kinda cool that it existed. Probably couldn't exist in this day and age, but it exist it did exist at, at a much simpler time. And well, yep, she kind of was behind the production or at least used in the production of this film. And uh and it kind of makes it interesting, I guess, when you're watching these kids. Yeah, they're they're not A list actors, but they were aspiring actors. I don't think any of them probably did much, but that's kind of an interesting little side note. Do you want to add this movie to your DVD collection? No, you don't. However, there's versions out there. Riff Tracks has a version, and that's probably the best way to watch it. I do have a clean copy of this film, but uh, I don't know if it exists on YouTube anymore. I do know that there's a copy on YouTube uh, with some commentary, and you know what? That's probably more entertaining than watching the film straight out. Nonetheless, I don't encourage that you buy this film. There's probably 10,000 films you want to watch before this or certainly that you want to pay for before this. But if it's a late Friday night in this holiday season, you have nothing better to do. Get yourself some spiked eggnog and sit back and enjoy Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. I would say tell them Monster Movie Kids sent you, but I'm not sure I want that credit. Nonetheless, check it out for yourself if you so desire. As we close this edition of the Kansas City Crypt, I want to wish you and yours a Merry Christmas, a happy holiday season, or if you don't celebrate this season at all, I just wish you peace and joy as the old year ends and the new year begins. And yes, there will be more editions of the Kansas City Crypt coming in 2020. Until then, take care, everyone. This has been Richard, the Monster Movie Kid.
0: Thank you, Mr. Chamberlain.
1: Okay, before I wrap up this month's episode, I want to read you
0: a new poem I have written. Now, you are all aware that in addition to making films, I also write poetry that is so good and so... I mean, it 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 defies description of, of how on another level it really is. And so every month I, I put together a piece of poetry that surely blows your mind to the point that you need a nap after you hear it. I've written something that... I think it's probably, it's deep. It's existential, but accessible. I just, I don't want to ruin it. It's it's something that, that, I'm just saying prepare yourself emotionally and mentally. This This may, I cannot be, I'm just going to say, I cannot be held responsible for your physical and emotional and mental response to this piece of art I'm about to lay on you. If you're driving, maybe pull over. If you're standing, maybe sit down. If you're sitting, maybe lay down. But good luck. This poem is called Meeping, and it goes something like this. Gorble, dorble, feel the wind warble. Unger, chunger, stomach acid's hunger. Flicker, slicker, creaking goes the wicker. Beeping, meeping, belly man is sleeping. Dripping, clipping, heavy man is slipping. Deeper, steeper, give in to the creeper. Leaper, beeper, surrender to the reaper. Thank you. Wow. I might need a moment after that. I'm feeling a little lightheaded. Like, that may have, like, shifted us into a a slightly altered reality. You know, like, like, someone checked the spelling of Berenstain. That's all I'm saying. Okay, before I go, as I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Remember, Phantom Lake Kids, you can still contribute. That Which Lurks in the Dark, you can also contribute by going to St.Euphoria.com. Lots of cool stuff is happening. Buy stuff for the holidays. Make sure you get those orders in now, especially if it's something handmade and you want to get it in time for the holidays. Also, on or around Christmas, going to announce something very cool. Watch my movies on Amazon. Give them a star rating, three stars or more. If you don't like it, don't rate it. Don't do anything. Just watch it all the way through. Hate it. Ignore it. Leave it alone. Now, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob. And uh, I'll talk to you probably around Christmas, but also next month. Have a good one.
2: <laughs> it is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Mimiverse Joke of the Month. Since Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio loves surf music so much, and he loves horror movies, I was thinking maybe he should create his own genre of movies about surfers that get picked off one by one. He could call it surfvival horror movies. We are currently in our off-season of our show, so you can still see our monthly show if you're a member of our fan club, if you are one of the Midnight Monsters. Otherwise, we will be back in March with a mystery Vincent Price movie. Ooh. There's a lot of Vincent Price movies. Lots of good Vincent Price movies. And speaking of Vincent Price, we will be at RavenCon in April next year, where we will be showing two movies. We'll be showing The Giant Spider, from Christopher R. Mim and House of the Gorgon from Joshua Kennedy. Until next month, science!
1: <laughs>